0: That's our prayer. We ask that as we uh, continue to worship you in our time together, we ask that your name would be held high, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored because you are the one that's forever. That's what this is all about. Thank you for this place. Thank you for these people. Thank you for our worship team that leads us to you. We glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Lord willing, the church in a theater for only one more year. Um, I have to say, I love this place. My wife and I, we love this place. And we love this church because this church actually knows what it wants to do. And I'm sad to say that always isn't the case. Um, I don't know about you, if you've Maybe had some times where you've tried to grab a hold of what is a particular local church really all about. And sometimes, again, I'm sad to say it, but it's actually hard to nail down. It's kind of like, well, we're about our mission statement. Well, cool. It's like a banner on the wall, but uh, that's too fluffy. Um, We're about Jesus. Well, that's awesome. But like how? Really? I mean, really how? Well, we 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 do church, we do church stuff. I mean, have you ever asked why do we do the things that we do? I'm just going to tell you, we ask that a lot around here. Um, this has been one of the most purpose churches I've ever been a part of in my life, and in fact, we don't do a whole lot of stuff on purpose. Well, during the month of September, October, and November, uh, we've been, if you will, looking behind the curtain. And taking a peek, and we've really been asking three questions about Harvest Bible Chapel, Indy West. And those questions really are, uh, what is this church about? I mean, what are we about? Secondly, we've been, uh, we took the month of October, taking a look at what are we trying to do? And this month, we're talking about how are we trying to do that? How do we do that? Well, uh, what is this church about? We're about the four pillars. We're about four pillars. Pillars hold things up. Back to look on the back of your update. Take a look there. You can see them again. We hold, what's the first one? Thank you. I got started wrong. We proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. We lift high the name of Jesus in worship. We believe firmly in the power of prayer. and We share the good news of Jesus with boldness. That's what we are about. Those are the pillars that hold this place up. From there, we ask the question of really, okay, if that's what's holding us up, what actually are we trying to do here? What are we trying to accomplish? And we went through last month the five G's. I'll just put it this way. We are about raising disciples, disciples that make disciples. And we went through what we kind of called the five G's, uh, glorifying increasingly glorifying disciples of christ are to be increasingly glorifying the lord not glorifying the lord like i was last year not glorifying the lord like i was three months ago but increasingly so that's what we want to be and if we're going to be a glorifying person and a glorifying people then we need to be growing we need to be growing in Christ because that's what has to happen for increased glory to take place. And, and in those areas, we want to increase in graciousness and generosity, and we want to increase in gratefulness. Those are the things that we want to be, but ultimately, we are about raising disciples. Well, how do we do that? Uh, three W's. Worship, walk, and work. I understand all of us, are, our lives are to be about worshiping the Lord. All of us are to be walking with the Lord. All of us are to be working for the Lord. But we mean something in more detail than that. Uh, Today, uh, and next week especially, we're going to be spending a lot of time on some practicality of some things. We're talking in a different format. I said last week, this is kind of like a family chat, Sundays. And this is coming back to this thing of who we are. And when we talk about worship, walk, and work as staff, elders, as leadership, what we're talking about is simply this. We want people at Harvest coming to this regularly. We want them to view this time together as a church family with high priority and coming regularly together and corporate gathering on the weekends. Secondly, we want our people involved in a small group. We're going to be talking about that today. Third, we want you working for Christ. I'm just going to tell you, that's, what, that's all I want. That's all I want. Uh, because we believe that package ends up leading to disciples that make disciples. And so we embrace a very simplistic ministry on purpose. On purpose. Well, last week we started with three W's, and uh, we hit, uh, last Sunday, it was the first W, which is what? Worship. Worship. And uh, know this, I don't view this regular time of us gathering together as really important because, like, this is my job. (laughs) Okay, and so you should come because this is my job. Uh, we as a church don't view this as important because like, it's supposed to just something you're supposed to do. It's just like a, some kind of religious ritual. Uh, we view this important because last week we talked about, we know who designed it. Uh, Christ, secondly, is the head of it. We know who designed it. We know who's the head of it. I don't know if you know this, but the local church was just not some Billy Bob's idea out in the desert. This was God's idea to do this. Uh, and within the universal church, local churches are a living image in an area of the universal church. And this is God's thing. He designed it. He's the designer. And we also know who's the head of it. And we talked about six things that scripture says about it. There's nine things, actually, that scripture said about it last week. And, and I understand there's the question, but Doug, don't you understand all the mess-ups going on in the local churches? Hey, friends. We have had a big one in the news, just right in our own community. But hear me on this: Yes, there's user error. We're all sinners. But do know this: user error does not detract from the design of by the designer. OK? This is really important because it's really important to the Lord. Christ died for this. Christ loves this. He's the head of it. It, it, This is his bride. And we want to love what he loves. And he loves this. Do know that. He is thrilled about what's happening. He's thrilled about seeing his people come together and rejoice. And we are a local, autonomous, self-governed, local church that is strategically partnered with Harvest Bible Fellowship to be able to do more together than we ever could alone. And this is a big deal to us, and we value it highly. Well, today, uh, we're on the second W. What's the second W? Walk. Walk. Walk with Christ. We're taking this in the realm of, from a ministry, strategic, how we view this. Our ministry beats. Our heart beats for raising disciples. It's really that simple. What is our goal? We want to raise disciples that make disciples. We want to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. That's it. It's that simple. We want people doing that. We want to see people redeemed in Christ, coming to know Christ, and we want to see people increasingly growing and producing for Christ. And our ministry eyes are on a quality of discipleship, not a quantity of disciples. Our ministry eyes are on a quality of discipleship, not a quantity of disciples. Do I care? Do we care about having more people? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are all about, I want more people to be able to be uh, coming to Christ and growing in Christ. I'm all about that, but do know this. It comes out of effective, quality, healthy discipleship. Uh, It's the principle of healthy things grow. And we're about producing, building, uh, equipping healthy things. And if raising quality, healthy, multiplying disciples was the goal of Jesus, and if that was the goal of the Apostle Paul... And I think that should be our goal. And not only that, I really want to spend the rest of our time taking a look at this. If that's what Jesus did, how did he do that? I love strategy. And I just am just consumed by this really. How did Jesus make disciples? And too often we just talk about it in fuzzy world and don't get down to the reality because I'm going to tell you, the more I go through the Gospels, Jesus was incredibly strategic. And by the way, so was the Apostle Paul. So let's spend some time. Here's a main statement I want to work off of. They, in other words, Jesus, Paul, we're going to kind of talk about here today. They ministered to the masses and they discipled a few. And they did it by sharing the gospel and their lives in a community. They did it in community. Well, let's take a look at this. Let's break this out here because this is absolutely foundational. If you want to understand what harvest is about, I ask you to really hear what's about to come out because this is where our heartbeat is so at. Number one, Jesus ministered to the masses. Uh, Look and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, okay? What what chapter? No, that, what chapter? <laughs> what chapter? Mark. Oh, what gospel? One. Okay, Mark chapter one. My bad, my bad, bad questions. Okay. Jesus, one of the things about him is he engaged in all kinds of situations, all kinds of contexts, and with all kinds of people. I mean, he engaged with the poor, with the rich, with the religious, with the unreligious. He engaged with men. He engaged with women. He engaged with kids. He engaged with higher-ups. He, en- he engaged with the general population. Uh, he engaged with priests. He engaged with lay people. He engaged in large groups, small groups, and one-on-one. I mean, when you go through the Gospels, again, his strategy is just stunning. But two things about it, in all of those contexts, in all of those situations, two things were brought into the picture. His self and the gospel. I mean, his person and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it was done in formal settings and informal settings, and it was done in private and public settings. He ministered to the masses. Mark chapter 1, look at verse 14. No, after John, John the baptizer, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee doing what? By the way, who came into Galilee? Jesus did himself, his person, his own uh, flesh. God in the flesh, second person of the Trinity in the flesh. He walked into Galilee, into this area. And what did he do? He proclaimed the gospel of God, which he knows is the good news of himself. But himself told the good news of himself is what's happening here. And he said this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That's the story. And here he does it in public. This is essentially, if you will, to the masses. Uh, From the very beginning here in Mark chapter one, you go all the way to the end of Mark in chapter 16. Jesus throughout his three years of public ministry was ministering to the masses, lots of people, the general public. That was part of his modus operandi. But he also strategically discipled a few. Twelve few. He strategically put himself in a community of twelve. And his time on earth just screamed quality discipleship. He did life with these twelve guys. And essentially... Think about this. He placed his ministry chips on what came to be 11 guys. I mean, if you want to take just a flat-out analysis of Christ, when he was at the cross and he died, the whole thing was a failure. One, he died. Two, his guys and everybody else bagged him. I mean, that's the reality. You look at all he did. Why didn't he wait till there was satellite? Why didn't he wait till there was publication opportunity? Why didn't he wait till the internet? I mean, when you look at what happened when Christ died, it was hanging on 11 guys. I'm telling you, that has got to be the most risky, if you will, quote, business endeavor ever. And that's the fact of the matter. Uh, look at mark chapter 1 verse 17. He discipled a few Jesus said to them. Oh, well, that's a lot of people. No, it's not verse 16 Simon and Andrew He said this to two guys Follow me and I will make you fishers of men That's the strategy Hey a couple guys you two, follow well who follow christ follow him Follow me. This is, What does that entail? Hang with me. Be with me. Let's just do life together. Well, you two hang with me, and out of the time together, something is going to happen. You are going to become a disciple that makes disciples. You're going to become a fisher of men. And what's the strategy? It's so simple, folks. Hang with me, and I'll turn you into something completely different than you are today. By the way, I'd see no strategic plan of courses, of a college. It's just an interesting, interesting reality of what's happening. Uh, by the way, go to Mark chapter 16, the very end of the book. Verses 14 to 15. This is essentially the great commission given to the disciples in the gospel of Mark. Chapter 16, verse 14. He says, afterwards, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to the eleven... And as they were reclining at table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Welcome home. (laughs) I'm back. Dudes. Come on, guys. By the way, he's talking to his peeps here. He's talking to the 11. Fishers of men. Come on. Pick it up, my friend. This is like breakout time for him with them. Come on. Well, let's like, get at it. Uh, because they had believed those who saw him after, and had not believed those who saw him after. In verse 15, and he said to them, go. By the way, you go. Don't get a whole bunch of people and you send them. You go. Just like I came, you go. You go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's it. There is a pattern here the second person of the Trinity comes in the flesh and he grabs some guys and he says to them, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so what did they do? They follow him for three years and they see Jesus ministering to the masses and investing in these few. And over the time that goes on and then we get to the end of the program three years later and Jesus says, hey, I'm cutting it out. By the way, guys, hear me on this because you're not getting the whole picture. And then as he has their attention, he's like, I'm telling you, friends, I'm heading out, and you're to go. I'm not asking you to send your kids. I'm not asking you to send your wives. I'm asking you to go. And you engage, and you go out, and you share the gospel with other people. And you minister to the gospel to the people. Jesus, who ministered to the masses and discipled a few, called his men to minister to the masses and disciple a few. It's that simple. The strategy is that profound and yet that simple. It's amazing how we complex it up. Paul, let's take a peek at Paul. Paul ministered to the masses and discipled a few. Just his ministry modus operandi was he would come into it. Usually he would come into a new city on his missionary journeys and he'd go to the synagogue. He'd go to the synagogue and he'd start talking about the Lord. He'd share the gospel with them. And in that, and then out of that kind of that ministry, he had other opportunities to the masses as well, but he kind of came in with a starting out to the masses approach. And then out of that, when you follow the apostle Paul, he always did ministry in team. When you go and you look at the epistles, you'll see in the beginning from Paul and us. We, there was Paul and Titus, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Epaphras, Paul and these various kinds of people. He was always doing that. He always brought men with him. Team ministry is training ministry. They did life together. It just models exactly what Christ did. Turn to first, or 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're, we could take a look here. And we see one of the guys who was that. Uh, We're in Timothy, so who probably is that guy? (laughs) It's Timothy, all right? So here's Timothy. Look at um, verse 1, or actually beginning of verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child. Paul was not his daddy. Paul was his spiritual parent. There's just very intimate terminology here. Timothy, my child. I mean, Paul loved this guy. I mean, his chips are hanging on this guy. Uh, Look at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you, by the way, singular Timothy, constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears. How did, how, how did Paul know about his tears? Because he was with him. And he knew about Timothy. and Timothy was uh, kind of by nature a timid guy. And Paul knew this after being with him. And I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. a faith that first dwelled in your grandmother Lois. And your mother Eunice. Yep. Mom and grandma raised a disciple. Oh. Mommy, grandma raised a disciple that made disciples. Bam, that's what we're talking about. Now I am sure dwells in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. How do you lay hands on someone? You're there. You're there. Seven, for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power, love, self-control. I'm telling you, Paul knew Timothy. Uh, look at uh, verse, or chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Paul, involving Timothy, doing life together with Timothy, tells him, listen. You've heard this and one of the big things is in the presence of others. Verse chapter 2 verse 2 contains community. Timothy, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to faithful men who are going to teach others as well. Paul was all about raising disciples that were going to be producing disciple-making disciples. He ministered to the masses. And he discipled a few. Friends, today, we have lost in America the idea of investing in a few. We love the masses because the masses provide distance. Doing life with someone requires a realm of closeness. You can't disciple people at distance. By the way, this is my ministry to the masses. That's just the reality. This is a part of discipleship, but it's not the whole. And for Jesus and Paul, discipleship was always done within a context of community. Quality discipleship does not happen only in a classroom. And we are a classroom-loving society. Give me the data and the certificate, and that means I am. That's not the way Jesus did it. That's not the way Paul did it. We don't see Peter growing up in a context of Jesus and me isolation. He grew up in Christ in a context of community. We don't see John or James or Andrew or Philip or Bartholomew or Matthew or James the son of Alphaeus or Thaddeus or Thomas growing in their walk with Christ in a sterile classroom-like only context they did life together we don't see the believers in the early church growing in their walk with Christ in Christian isolation they did it in community we don't find Paul growing at a conference I'm not anti-conference I'm just saying that was not the only tool and we don't find Jesus or Paul training disciples in a context of isolation it was always in a context of community walking with Christ is not just you and Jesus and I want to lovingly and yet straight up with a sense of authority because of what I see in Scripture understand this if you think as a follower of Christ that walking with Christ means you and him alone doing your own little thing In a closet, you don't understand what a disciple of Christ is. It's that straight up. Turn to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Love this verse. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Think about that picture. Iron sharpens iron. In order to sharpen, what has to happen? Contact. Uh, They have to, if you will, rub shoulders. There has to be rubbing shoulders. Sometimes that rubbing shoulders is like smooth and just really like, this is fun. Other times it's like, I'm feeling the heat, baby right? That's what it means. That's the image. As iron sharpens iron, so one man, so one woman sharpens another. That means together, rubbing shoulders, interacting, hanging with, doing life together. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. 17. Uh, turn back to the New Testament. Romans chapter 15. Ro- we're going all over here. Romans chapter 15. Paul here writing, chapter 15, verse 14, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, get my page turned, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. The term has, they're able to counsel one another, able to help one another. Fit that with Proverbs 27, 17. That's together, rubbing shoulders together. You are capable of doing that, believer in Christ. But Doug, I, I haven't taken a Bible class. I haven't taken a, like a discipleship class. I haven't taken a counseling class. I mean, listen to me. Romans 15, 14, guess what? Neither did they. And yet Paul is saying, listen, all you have is the word of God and the spirit of God. No, but I need the course. No, you have the word of God and the spirit of God. You are fully capable to sharpen one another. So let's get at it. That's exactly what Paul is essentially saying. You're able to do that. I love this verse because basically behind it is this idea of it's like people are thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I totally know about that. But Paul's like, no, you're equipped to do that, friends. Uh, Turn to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Some of you will know this by heart. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Let me pause there for a second. Oh, I could so spend the time on this. Let us consider. Okay, I'd like for everybody right now, consider. What does that word just instill in you? It's this idea of like, pause. Let me think, just a second. Just hold on, let me think. Hmm, hmm. What are we supposed to be considering? Look at the text. How to spur one another up, giddy up, giddy up. Hey, when you come to church on Sundays, have you sat and thought, considered? Let's see, how can I giddy up my friends? I want to tell you, friends, this verse is so intense, so personal, so interactive, so strategic, and so demanding of your purposefulness. You don't come to church to sit in the bleachers. You come to church to giddy up one another. And before you walk in the door already, you're already thinking about other people that you may know. And I'll just say this. If you don't know other people, we'll talk about that in just a second. But it's time to know other people. And this also means that it has the idea. You understand what's going on in some other people's life. Hey, Bob or uh, Bill or or Sally or uh, Kent or Frank or uh, whatever. I know this is going on in their life. What can I do? Hmm. I know I'm going to do X at church. Let us consider how we may giddy up one another. And don't you tell me, what's the rest of the verse say? Speak it. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> it's like a monk room. I love it. I actually love it. Do you see this? Encourage one another to have this idea in it that we're encouraging one another. And listen, we got to meet together. Some aren't. They don't view it very high priority. We do. Because you can't do iron sharpening iron if you're not together. You can't do it through the TV. And you can't do it with a book only. You have to be around people. And you have to be around people with a purpose. Because of time, I'm just going to make mention. If you're a note taker, you can write down Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. No, got to go to that one. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. You can also write down 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. I watered Apollos. Or I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So important. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Let me say that one more time, especially that last part. He gave pastors and teachers to do what? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I got a a one-day-a-week job. (laughs) Something like that. But my job is to equip you. Our job is to equip you for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Now go to 1 Thessalonians 2.8. A number of you have been around here for a while. You're like, okay, Doug's at home with this verse first thessalonians 2 8 friends i'm telling you i personally think this is one of the most significant ministry verses in the entire bible and that's why any ver- any uh, visitor letter you're going to see it after my name first thessalonians 2 8 you can read uh, prior to that up to chapter 2 up to verse 8 uh, uh, paul is explaining his how he did ministry he had to hightail it out quickly Uh, out of Thessalonica in the middle of the night and people were wondering if he was a con man and yet in it uh, he's explaining his ministry and he's saying listen I I, I was gentle among you verse 7 but we are gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children man now there's a sweet picture isn't it? I, I hope I'm that way increasingly so I hope we as pastors and leaders are that way I hope small group leaders are that way First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, I know in New International. We loved you so much, it starts there. Friends, if you don't love people, bag the rest of the verse. Oh, by the way, it's very interesting because Paul in this, he's saying, we loved you so much. The fact of the matter is, is this is preempting when he went there. We loved you so much that we're delighted to do something. Uh, why would he love people that he didn't even necessarily know face to face? Why? Because Jesus loves people. And Paul loved people just because they're people. I don't have to have the same interests, the same life stage as you. You're just a person, so I need to love you. We loved you so. By the way, we, I just thought of that. We, context of community, multiple people doing ministry together. We loved you so much that we were delighted. Woo-hoo! Giddy-up! That we were delighted to share with you. This is the most intriguing statement in the whole New Testament to me. Not only the gospel of God. You've got to sit back and chew on that. I mean, it's like, well, it's the gospel. Well, you share the gospel. It's the gospel, right? Paul says not only that. The next thing, we loved you so much, delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, look at it, but our lives as well. Those are the two ministry tools. It's this simple. Ministry as a disciple for Christ means the gospel and your life. Iron sharpening iron, your life engaging with people. Have you been to a church where it's just been, I'll say it right, it's just been all about the gospel only? And you kind of walk away and you're like, do they even care about me? Do they love me? Listen, it has to be both. I've also been in churches where it's just about love, love, and love, and love, and it's like, where's the gospel? I mean, this is human-centered. Where's the gospel? Hey, ministry is about the gospel and you sharing your life with people. That's it. Think of Mark chapter five. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee, gets the other side. He heals the demon-possessed man. What's he tell him to do? Go home and tell what your family has done. But I haven't had a class. I haven't had evangelism training yet. No. What, what's in that statement? Go home and tell them what God has done in your life. The gospel, and you go your life. I'm telling you. Just think about it. It's all through Scripture. It's that. All through Scripture, it's that. Harvest, we want to do quality discipleship here. That's what we're about. And that means gospel-centered, people-oriented, spirit-empowered ministry. And we live in a world today where far too often in Christ's church, it ends up being feeling-centered, activity-purposed and self-empowered. Two words to describe those. One is horizontal. One is vertical. We're a small groups church. We're big on small groups here. It is our central discipling tool. And it is a big deal to us because of what I've just been talking about. It is a big deal to us because not only does ministry to the masses take place, that's what's happening here. But it has to go more than that. It has to go beyond that. We're to rub shoulders together. We're to get involved in each other's life. And we can't all do that together. (laughs) This would be chaos if we tried to do that in here. We need to break down. And and there's different ways to do that. We're not a small groups church and mad about it. We're a small groups church, and that's our strategy. That's our purpose behind it. There's other churches. Most of my life, I grew up in adult Sunday school class or adult Bible fellowship, ABFs, ministries. I'm fine with that, but I am going to say this. There's a downside. They have a tendency to become Bible-dispensing structures with a few teachers and a lot of bleacher sitters. There's generally minimal iron sharpening iron, life-on-life spiritual discipleship happening. And they are structured just within themselves. They contain distance. You teach, I sit and listen, and we can keep some distance. I'm not anti yet. I just understand the weaknesses of it. Some are done really well. And they're done well because they get beyond that. And they get people together. But I'm going to tell you, it always comes down to coming into small group format. And not just someone new every week. But some people that you know that you can do life together with and interact with. We embrace a small group ministry design Because it gets past cozy, it gets past distant, and it gets past lecture driven. But, Doug, there aren't small groups in the Bible. Understand, but there's not Sunday school class, there's not Bible study fellowship, there's not choir in the New Testament, there's not sports for Jesus. You don't see the conferences like we do it. The point is, as I would agree. Do you see a small group like we do small groups in the Bible? <laughs> I would say, not really. That's not the point. The point is, is that we do ministry in a context of community. How are you going to get people in community? That's the issue. And here's a church. We do it in small groups. By the way, I'm also going to add the other reason that it's so strong and such a big deal to me why we do it in small groups is for this reason. I will never forget. I was in a doctoral class up in Trinity in Chicago, and for the one night of class when we went to prep prep for the next day, we had to write out what was our purpose. What was your purpose? What, as a pastor, are you trying to produce? Had that one nailed. I mean, had that one nailed right there because Karen and I already knew that. We wanted to make disciples that make disciples. That's what we wanted to do. And the assignment was, now go back in how you're structured and evaluate how are you producing that? And guess what? I started going back. I worked just like, it just drew me. And I went back and I thought, I have people, I'm training them to be good greeters. I'm training them to do social events. I did not have As as an assistant pastor leading two ABFs, I did not have one position that was structured for people to get down and for a person to to be doing disciple-making into others. Not one. And I walked away from that going, oh, my word. I want to produce disciples that make disciples, and I do not have one slot in my structure that is designed that that's actually happening like that. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. Doug, are you just trying to get all the ministry load off of yourself? Yes. Biblically, absolutely. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13. Equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what we're about. Making disciples that make Disciples. And I see, we see the biblical ministry pattern is God's people ministering to the masses and discipling a few by sharing the gospel in their lives in a context of community, that's it. That's why we do small groups. That's why we have a very high view of them. We're jazzed about them. We love them. And we do them on purpose. So let me finish with this. Four things. Doug's four observations about what makes a good, strong, small group and what makes a good, strong, small group member. Number one, enter small group ready to play ball. Enter small group ready to giddy up. You're entering the field of ministry, not the bleachers. And by the way, this is assuming you attend Are And I realize there's different stages of life where it just doesn't work out and that's okay. But on the whole, this is just our ministry design. Listen, be play ball means that when you come, your small group leader doesn't have to grab a pry bar or form a pep rally to get you to speak. You're already prepared. It may not be a lot of things, but you've got at least one thing. That you're ready to bring and put on the table. Come in thinking that this is my community. This is not a data dumping time. I enter into the game of life with these people, and the gospel is the glue. That's what this is about. I come to hear. That means I come to hear what you have to say and you have to say and you have to say because you have completely different lives than I have and backgrounds than I have. And I want to hear what you have to say. And that means, talkers, you need to listen more. Uh, I come to speak. I come to speak what God has impressed upon me. That means listeners, speak up. It's okay to be a quiet person. But still, that doesn't, is not an excuse for you not being a part. Play ball. Secondly, what makes an effective small group uh, member is someone that's a learner. Enter knowing God has something for me here tonight. Something to hear, something for me to change, someone for me to serve. Everyone brings something together. Enter as a learner, not as a critic. Mind my small group leader doesn't do a very good job. I want to tell you, I think small group leader is the hardest job in this entire church. How hard it is to draw people out. I'm telling you, every time you do it, you walk away thinking how you stink at it. True? It's the same for me on Sundays, to tell you the truth. When you lead people, your weaknesses come out in front of you if you really want to get better at it. Come as a critic, not of your small group, not of your members. Listen, the sovereignty of God has put you together, not of the curriculum listen, I don't agree with everything in every book or whatever we do. It's okay. Take a breath. You didn't like a chapter? You didn't like a paragraph? That's okay, all right? I have all kinds of commentaries that I use with people who say things that I don't agree with. I don't bring those in here. But they have some other stuff that is just spot on. So if you're one that's a critic about it, chill out. I say that in love. Enter small group to be a blessing. Be a blessing to your leader. Be a blessing to your members. What's going on in their life? How can you help them? And enter small group anticipating God's going to meet with us. Friends, I'm telling you, this is my heartbeat. This is where it happens. This is where discipleship takes place here. And if you're not in a small group, this is in no way intended to be a spanking of you. This is intended to be a, hey, understand the design for discipleship. And it's to be done in community. That's why we do small groups.